Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today, we have serial entrepreneur and technologist, Shireen Mitchell. Welcome to The Go Show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Let's dive right in. Uh, you're coming from a, uh, a conference where they're, where they're talking about governments uh, uh, using technology to create mischief, to meddle in elections. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that? Absolutely. So the conference uh, was held uh, at the Swedish embassy yesterday, um, and actually also today, uh, organized by uh, Atlantic uh, Council, and is called Stratcom DC. And what it brought together was people from different governments and also you know civil society as well as others who were participating in this conversation about disinformation, hacking, and the bots and the ways in which they um, impact elections, but also the ways in which it impacts us every day in the tech community. You know, did they touch on uh, some of the the white supremacist uh, ads and kind of the the, the, the Russian strategists? wanting to play off race uh, in terms of influencing the election. So in the from the U.S. perspective, I would say uh, yesterday we did not touch on a whole bunch of that. But what I can do is tell you that I have collected and have an interactive visual of how the Russian ads from the IRA, the 3,500 ads that Facebook had released um, and with the government, our government released uh, based the, the ones that were in in on Facebook, uh, I can tell you that they were not only race-based ads, but they were centrally targeting um, black identity. Were there people who actually worked as part of the, the operations? Uh, you know, were, you know, did they speak up about that? Yeah, so there was at least um, one woman who participated in the Russian troll farm that was in St. Petersburg. They were hired by the Russian they were troll hi- farm. They were hired by the Russian government to work on the, in the troll farm. Um, and she shared her experience and how um, she was engaging with others who were there too, who are humans, which I think sometimes people uh, disconnect from the concept that when they, we talk about a Russian troll farm, there's some assumption that it's not actually people. And these, and, and so she shared her story about her engagement and how she was not very technologically savvy, and how she was trying to hide that, and and then telling stories of the people that she was having um, engagements with, including a man who was pretending to be a Mexican a Mexican um, auto repair guy who. Um, shared misinformation but used used an identity as being a Mexican and also a repair guy so he seemed to be like a working class guy but was still uh, disseminating uh, misinformation in the U.S. elections. People who were actually hired I guess by the GRU and the, and the Russians in terms of their operations they're speaking out at this conference but some people are still going around saying that this stuff is a hoax. So yes I, I would say on the U.S. side we actually there's some arrogance about our understanding about what really took place and there's a lack of understanding sometimes it's because it's technical but sometimes i think it's because there's um i think we don't understand that we're literally in what we classified as the cyber war with russia versus the cold war and um i can't remember his name right now but he got up at the end and he talked about um he was around for the Cold War, and we got past it, and now we're in this new war. And I was just like, yeah, but w- we may get past it, but we have to accept that we're in that war first before yeah. we get past it. And I feel like I had been screaming that we're in the cyber war for years before we even started to even talk about Russia. Um, there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of, in my opinion, pushback um, from our side 
to even believe it existed in the first place. So what you hear now is, I think, sort of the pushback that this is a hoax and this stuff isn't real, and we're starting to see more and more stories to share about the fact that not only was it real, but we had certain candidates participating in this in this uh, in these activities. Yeah. What do you say to um, folks with the point of view that this is a case of the chickens coming home to roost, meaning that? The United States has meddled in a lot of elections yeah. in, the, in, in Africa, uh, in Muslim countries. Now some people believe they're meddling in the, in the politics in Iran. And so uh, historically, the United States has always meddled in other people's elections. And so a Russian may say, hey, we, we just got you real hard this time. Like, you, you know this is part of the game. I, I can't deny any of that. Um, one of the things that came out of yesterday was um, this conversation about the buying the botnets, like the you know buying the Russian farm to participate in different um, campaigns is the same thing as the Kenyans, which is, has been recorded buying American botnets to you know to mess with the Kenyan election. So so it, 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 technically it's Americans, but it, it's about interference or changing a dynamic in a different country. It doesn't matter where the botnets are bought, right? It's it's more about um, what what they're what they're trying to accomplish. And yes, I would say two things about the US, not only about us meddling, but I think that people fail to realize that if we look at this full circle uh, when we go back to the Cold War conference, the concept um, at the conference that when it was brought up, it was like another moment for me because people don't realize that the Internet that we all now use was developed by the Defense Department at Ar- as ARPANET against Sputnik, the, you know, the, the, the <laughs> a, a Russians um, <laughs> sort of spy in the in the in the um, in, in space. And we thought that we can combat that by by our our ARPANET which eventually became the internet. And I think that people don't connect the dots to that because that is, to me, the whole coming back to roost because we won the Cold War, we built the internet, and now Russia has used the internet to come back and attack us. When some of the information started to come out in terms of the Russian meddling, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he was quoted as saying that he thought it was crazy uh, that Russia could use Facebook to meddle an election or possibly flip an election that, you know, was about the difference was about 30,000 votes. Um, What does that say about, hey, Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, uh, including uh, 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 multiple social platforms that he's controlling, that he's dangerous because when you think about risk management and you think look at the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, uh, the the financial system, you know, uh, collapsed uh, or almost collapsed where people, the risk managers, they were asleep. They were just trying to make money and then it explodes in their face. They don't really factor in how this can impact other things. Uh, and so when I think about Mark Zuckerberg, it makes me think about the financial crisis and the risk management at that point. And if he says that... Uh, it's crazy to think Russia could use this, plaf- use this platform to uh, tamper with democracy or, or uh, American-style democracy. What are your thoughts on that in terms of is he, is he fit uh, to really run a, 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 an organization at that scale? So I would say um, his supporters would say he is fit, but I will agree that he, he completely missed the mark on this, completely, without, without question. Um, his denial was, I think, rooted in his misunderstanding of what was actually happening on his platform. Despite the fact that he may have built a platform, I don't think he understands how the platform is being used. And I would feel the same way in my conversation about Jack in terms of Twitter. They don't understand how the platform is being used. And, and what's, you would put them in the same box. I would put them in the exact same box. You don't think like one's drastically different in terms of their awareness, their you know, possible greed or... or- I think maturity. I, I think we can say maturity. We can say greed. I mean, at the end of the day, both of them were after scale. Scale meant that if there were fake accounts, that was counted, 
right? Because that gave them valuation. The more people, the more users, the more valuation. And that's what they were after. Yeah. What that meant in terms of how that engagement happened on their platform, they were completely oblivious about. And they were not participating in in most of it. So they didn't understand it from that concept. So my answer to you is the greed of wanting to keep scaling for the purpose of making money that made them unfit from that framework because they were not looking at it from what's happening to the user. I would say now after the testimonies, after they both have testified in front of Congress, they would say, oh no, we have to think about what the healthy environment actually looks like. And now they're paying attention to sort of the hate speech and the engagement numbers from a different vantage point. But prior to this happening, they were not thinking about this at all. And not only did um, Mark make a mistake, but Jack waited to after the election to ban all the accounts that were participating in the voter suppression, sharing those same ads that were that were going on on Facebook. And he didn't do anything about it. I think the last time I saw a couple of ads coming from that, and they decided to put a video out to tell people they can't text their vote, was like literally days before the election. So, so if you think about the ways in which they think about this they were not thinking about this at all up until the actual election of 2016 so from your perspective let's say in 2008 the bankers were were super greedy in 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 going after more mortgages more money and they've done they did some crazy stuff that blew up in this case it sounds like twitter and facebook they're going after more money more accounts that they can tell wall street that they're growing you believe that they were aware that these a lot of these accounts, maybe one out of three, are fake. But we know they're fake, but we want to keep them on because we want to keep growing and full investors and the market. Right. And even with the fake accounts, if you think about... Uh, the way the botnets operate or the way that these accounts operated, they were they were also building impressions, right? So they're actually helping to market in some ways each of these platforms. So the, so the, it wasn't just about um, user or um, or increasing user base. It's, it's also increased engagement. So you're seeing people interact more on a more emotional level because, again, also some of the content was to sow discord, to have people disagree, disagreeing with each other, to have that level of back-and-forth engagement, too. They were also after, not paying attention to what was happening in the midst of that, not looking at the um, harm that was also being caused as, the, as that was happening, but that ultimately this was something that they thought would help them elevate as a as a industry, as as a company, I would say now if if you told them, um, you know, that some of their lack of paying attention caused genocide to happen, they would be horrified that that happened, which did happen on Facebook. There was, you know, with with the Myanmar situation, where the Burmese, um, that aspect where there was a whole group of people who were killed and some of that was organized on Facebook, um, that would be an example where they go, well, this is where it went wrong, right? Yeah. But that's such a horrific thing to think about, right? But this is this is the end. That's the end of it. The, the truth is there was a whole stream of other things happening that was leading to that that they didn't pay attention to. It wasn't until the harmful thing happened that they go, okay, we need to pay closer attention. We need more moderators that are from Burmese. We need more translators. We need like more community to help us engage in this. But why after the most horrific thing happened, do they have to pay attention? They should be paying attention to the whole stream, but they weren't because they were more interested in that, in that crease in um, engagement and impressions. And- on, on that note, does it sound crazy? Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, they're not built to think about the risk and the impact of others, meaning that they're, they may, you know, kind of be optimized like, hey, I know how to run a company. I know how to go get that money and grow a company. But when you start thinking about how it could impact kids and privacy and governments uh, and that, you know, people can use my, this stuff for really bad things, that these people may not be fit. And do you think it's crazy uh, that, hey, if something else big happens that no one really thought of, like the last big thing which Facebook was used uh, to influence election, could Facebook be nationalized or shut down by the government where there's a point of view, particularly from the left, uh, assuming that the left is in power, 
the point of view would the point of view would be we don't understand it and Mark and Cheryl don't understand it. So if we can't understand the complexity of the risk at this massive scale, uh, it's best to, 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 to shut it down or somebody else has to take control of it. Do you think that sounds crazy? Um, I don't think it sounds crazy, but I don't think it's going to happen. I will say that um, right now with all the hearings that have happened over the last couple of years, there's a, a, a movement from our government to look at ways in which to regulate. So people have been talking about the GDPR and having these companies, you know, change some of their behavior to match the GDPR. And what, what does that look like for the U.S.? Um, I would say that parts of these conversations are literally pinned on who has control at that point and what they think that they're helping to um, achieve. So there was a hearing last week on data and privacy. But the funny part is, I think that hearing happened on Tuesday. And Friday, no, Thursday, Facebook had, what, the 90 million breach that happened? It's like, okay, so we're still not, they still doesn't, they still don't even know what their reaches are. And so what does that mean for us as, as we're giving our information over to them? Um, I think that we're going to start looking at different ways in which these companies will be monitored. Um, but also I think looking at different ways that they will be monetized. Um, because even though Facebook will, will swear they don't sell data, they, they harness the data for their financial gain. And that's going to change the market going forward. Do you personally have a Facebook account? Yes. Could you see anything that, that would probably, you know, get you to close your account down? If I was going to close my account down, I probably would have done it already. So here's, here's two things about me. Um, I, most of what I do professionally, I do on social, on the social networks in the tech space. Um, so I'm on because I'm monitoring the behavior. I'm actually watching what's happening. So I, I can see when people are trying to boost ads, uh, that are in support of, um, activism or human rights or, um, things like black, you know, black lives matter. And I'm watching how Facebook use their algorithms to keep those conversations from elevating. However, um, in, in essence, those who are speaking up against racism, those who are speaking up against sexism are being silenced more than those who are, uh, harassing or targeting or going after silencing those voices on the platforms. And I think that what has happened is that, um, we aren't living in, this, in, in an environment where we see the healthy part of what we should be talking about because I think that the algos and these companies have already monetized the, the ugliness, the dystopic stuff. The they things, know they make the money they off make, the bad they, stuff. The, the, they've made the money off the bad stuff. And the algorithms have learned to operate from the bad stuff. And so if you heard Mark in his testimony, he said, hate speech, we're going to have to have sophisticated algorithms for hate speech, but that may take us another three to five years. Just think about that. You know, Facebook was created when 2003, 2005, 2004. So, so now we have another five years before you figure out how to deal with hate speech and you didn't deal with hate speech all the time before. We know hate speech existed the whole time. So why is it that the, there needs to be a sophisticated algorithm? It's because you never even thought about the hate speech as an issue to even deal with in the first place in the moderation process. Okay, so I want to recap uh, last week in the news. Uh, this all happened in one week. I just want to get your thoughts on it. Disclosure... 2FA phone numbers are secretly used for ad targeting, uh, where you give your phone number to Facebook. Essentially, they're using that phone number in their ad targeting without the consumer knowing. A Facebook exec who sold his company uh, to Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, he was called low class by a Facebook executive for criticizing Zuckerberg Zuckerbergism. Zuckerberg announced right after this, this Facebook executive calling this uh, a billionaire low class. Zuckerberg announces a hack that could extend to 100 million users or possibly more, uh, including on platforms outside of Facebook. Uh, then the next day, the head lobbyist of Facebook shows up in D.C. to support Kavanaugh. <laughs> All in one week. 
I saw all of those. I saw all of those. And and I I won't lie. I was like, what is happening? But then I was like, we know what's happening. Um, As someone who's been in DC life and has seen a lot of stuff, um, everything you just listed was like the week that I was just like, do we all understand how, how integrate the tech is in our politics? Or do we still see the tech as something, as a separate entity? Um, and my feeling about all those things that you just said um, really speaks volumes to, um, I think, there was an article that came out of the New Yorker where there was a question about, can Facebook fix themselves before they destroy democracy? And, you know, my, my commentary go always goes back to their official theme or slogan on the wall was like, move fast and break things. And my feeling is he moved fast, he broke things, and he broke democracy, and now everyone's trying to figure out how to fix it. Not him. Yeah. Everybody else. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how to fix it because he doesn't, he doesn't think about it from a democratic framework. Um, and so his, his concept about... Um, uh, being more connected and more engaged it's still about scale it's about you know how more people can touch more people across a scale and not yeah. about what that what that impact is on on any of our democracies not, not just the US but across the globe that's all they can think about actually <laughs> actually you mentioned uh, uh something that's very relevant to a recent quote by Sheryl Sandberg where in this disagreement she had, uh, I believe, with one of the Instagram founders, she said that I don't think that this would scale. And so to your point that I believe their mind is really good at scaling things, taking risk, but in terms of managing the risk and thinking about how this could impact other communities, other marginalized communities, they would score an F at that stuff. Like, hey, I can go take the risk and go get the money and the users, but you know, hey, we talk about protecting people. What's that? So, and I would say across the board, that's the that's the same truth. Like, so everyone, so if you remember, everyone, all the platforms had deplatformed Alex Jones, and Jack had refused to do it. And then Jack goes up onto Capitol Hill, and Alex Jones decides to show show up at, uh, up on Capitol Hill, and all of a sudden Jack wants to deplatform Alex Jones. Why? Because he had a face to face engagement with, with Alex Jones. That's our problem. These people are talking about scaling, but they're keeping the, they, they're talking about the distance from the scaling. So they want to scale all these groups of people, but they don't want those groups of people in the same room with them. Should Alex Jones be deplatformed? Yes. Okay. And what's your, what's your uh, case? Uh, take Alex Jones to court for me in terms of why he needs to be deplatformed across the board. The reason it's very simple, just, you know, historically, let me just go back to my own background. Um, I, I formed the first organization to get women and girls of color into tech back in 1999. And during that time, I would post on YouTube about different videos and, and, um, and commercials and the ways in which they targeted or didn't target communities of color. I was deplatformed from YouTube in 2009. <laughs> This argument with Alex Jones just came up, and all of a sudden, they give me back my access. Why? I think I know why. Because deplatforming me, speaking up against or, or, or about like diversity, is one argument that, that the tech codes just don't want to have on their platforms. You were deplatformed yourself, which is not surprising, but I'll share my view in, in, after you. It's, yeah. Don't be surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. But what I found very interesting was his conspiracy theory framework was making him millions on these platforms they were also making ad money off of it as well yet he was he was he was using those videos to not only harass and target other people but to also tell lies he was literally the proponent of the biggest um um, hoax conversation about the Sandy, the Sandy um, Hook, the uh, Sandy Hook kids. Yeah. Uh, he went after, and and let me tell you, he didn't get deplatformed until he went after the teens of Parkland. And the only reason that happened is because the teens could talk back. Those kids were who were five and six years old. Not only could they not talk back, but they were harassing the parents to tell them, "Prove to us your children were ever alive in the first place." 
there's no reason on any on any platform someone who's doing that should exist. Okay, so let's say you're right uh, that Alex Jones is telling lies, things that are proven to be untrue. He's a conspiracy theorist, and he's bad society. Let's say you're right, but. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter, CEO of Twitter, he says that we have to be careful because based on what I've seen in the Silicon Valley streets, I've been in these streets, I've IPO'd two companies, I've been in this game, we are biased to the left. So, so Jack Dorsey says, hey, based on my experience in Silicon Valley, in tech, we are heavily biased left. He does not say that if, you know, he acknowledges that uh, they're heavily biased left, but most likely they're going to be heavily biased white. They could be heavily biased anti-black. And so if these biases contaminate the policy decisions. They do. Uh, that, hey, if they start going after Alex Jones, uh, who can make a phone call to Trump, he can call a certain Republican congressman. But if that door is open, how much risk develops on the black side uh, where, hey, I've known a lot of black folks who bang against the establishment. They talk against uh, uh, Facebook. They talk against racist, white supremacists. And Facebook, Google, they come against them. And so I would think that if the policy enforcement is cranked up and the, the content police start you know, showing up around all the streets in, in uh, media and social media, roo, 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 they all start coming out. Who do you think is going to be going to jail first? It seems like it would be a lot more deplatforming proportionally on the folks who are banging against the powerful, banging against Silicon Valley, banging against the establishment. Let's go back to the beginning, right? Because social media, as its as its uh, thought process in the beginning, was to allow those marginal voices to have a platform in a way to go against the establishment. And somehow we're on this other side of it asking the question you just asked, right? Who's going to be silenced now? But the truth is, we've been silenced the whole time. We've been given some level of platform, but we have not been given the same level as others. So this this conversation about me and then Alex Jones would be the prime example. So I'm deplatformed for speaking up against the establishment or speaking up against white supremacy or speaking up for diversity. But Alex Jones is talking about something that is that is actually completely untrue. And, and factually untrue and, 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 and documentedly untrue. But he's not only given the platform, but he's given the platform he can make money from. I mean, that's something to talk about, too. We're not, and I'll go back to Diamond and Silk, who, who, who they were talking about on, you know, on the Hill, too. And they were talking about how Facebook had banned them and, and then Facebook had said that they were not healthy for the community. But the same thing is true for them. They're not doing it as an advocacy. They're doing it for money. They're doing it to, to, to raise money for, for their cause and their issues, not for um, anti-establishment. And that has been very clear about the whole thing. I think um, um, uh, Representative Hanks, uh, Hank Johnson, sorry, he's the one who like brought it up and they went off about on him about it because he was like, this is a situation where you guys are making money. I get it. Like, you, I get what you're trying to do. But, you know, that's not the same thing. And, and we have yet to come past those two conversations. The conversation of having a platform so we can elevate our voices as a group like Black Lives Matter and others who are trying to say we need to change the society that we're in because what's happening to us is horrible versus those people who want to use the platform to say whatever they want freely and make money off of it. Yeah. They're not the same thing. And this is, this is really, really important because um, I was at a conference uh, in June, I believe, called the Personal Democracy Forum. And um, Facebook's VP of product, uh, who was focused on some of the civic tech space, um, he got up there and he said, um, we have the, ca the capability of removing hate speech in an instant. We have, a we have the algos that can do that. How many people want to see that? And people are raising their hands. Of course we want to see that. Then his second question is, 
What happens if those algos are used and one political party is removed the most over another? And even I was going, if they're using hate speech, so what? Why is that even the comparison? Why are we having an argument about a political party who's using hate speech that gets their content taken down? What's the equation there? Right. But it's 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 about censorship. It's like, oh, the perception of being seen as censoring one group over another is more important than the hate speech that's happening. If cracking down on Alex Jones and others means that there's a hundred thousand new content police out there and they're going to police people differently, meaning that the biases Mm. we see in our community, in the black community with the real police, but the content police, if they're going to hire 100,000 people to look at all this stuff that's, that's uh, produced online and that policing is biased, is that a good trade for us? Meaning that, hey, when Alex Jones is taken down, it doesn't just end there, right? These people have very powerful connections. So what they're going to say is they're going to start pointing to Black Lives Matter, whatever they post. They're going to start pointing to stuff that I may produce or you may produce or you may say, and they try to form this equivalency, right? They are doing that Yeah, now. and so, hey, if the cost of banning Alex Jones across hosting providers, newsletter providers, PayPal, uh, where you really crack down on his content, if that means that you're going to see a lot of arbitrary policing uh, in uh, black media, in the production of black content, uh, uh, is that an acceptable trade? I don't think that's even a question to be asked. And here's the reason I'm saying this. First of all, Alex Jones should have never been able to get the platform that he has in the first place. We allowed that because we allowed that level of white nationalist framework to exist in a bubble without being checked at all. That While that was happening us as a black community, us in our activism, us in um, our ways in which we were speaking out, we were still being policed. That was still happening. Yeah. The moderation was still banning, you know, in a, at a higher rate, black women who spoke up about racism while Alex Jones was not being silenced at all. Yeah. Right. So we, so I want to make sure that I pin that because I, I think that there's no comparison to that. What I, what I will say is this, um, there is a constant sort of juxtaposition that people try to have, right? The KKK and the Bla- and Black Panthers. They're not equivalent, right? Yeah. But that's how people want to see the world, right? The same way that if you look at the moderation process, a black person saying white people or white folks is somehow supposed to be equivalent to a white person saying the N-word. Those are not the same thing. Yeah, and a white person saying black people is e- equivalent, but 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 a white person saying the n word is nowhere near equivalent to a black person saying white people. Yeah, and the fact that people think that that's that is true, or that the, even the moderation process in these tech companies are accepting that to be true, that in itself is the failure, and that's the part that needs to be fixed. And this is where an area that that you've been a, a OG in, in in terms of looking at the hiring practices uh, uh, out of the, the tech companies and trying to get more of our people into tech, that if the data shows that these companies get an F at bringing in people who look like us, if the data shows that you may be 1% of the engineers, you may be 1% of the policy team that makes these decisions. So if the police forces within these institutions, we don't even make up maybe 1%. Mm-hmm. I don't trust it enough where if they start going down this lane, uh, I just think that the crackdown on a lot of the people who are in, in our community who are courageous to really like, hey, I don't care about getting jobs. I don't care about getting money. I just want to speak the truth. They will be cracking down on our communities if they hire a well, they're already hiring a lot more police officers and they're cranking up their policy departments. So I agree. I agree they're cranking up and I, I'm going to make the same argument the same way that they couldn't see what the Russians were doing because the Russians were targeting black identity 
and they missed the mark on that is the same reason that they have yet to hire the diversity in their in, in their companies. And until that part shifts, because let me just tell you, it's that. connected to it, their it's, hiring. It's, it's yeah. connected to their hiring. It's connecting. It's connected to the ways in which the algorithms are working, or the way people are looking at the moderation process. Um, they keep talking about changing the moderation process, but the problem is they have not hired. Like I, I've said this multiple times, hire five black women to look at your moderation process, and I guarantee you, you know, any tech company. It'll be fixed in a hot second because they'll be able to see things um, that, that none of their staff have, have ever been able to see, including Mark himself or Jack himself. And, and, and my issue with this is, is that they're trying to avoid, in everything I see, they're trying to avoid, even though we're having this conversation about race, they are trying to avoid the race conversation, period, right? And because they're trying to avoid the conversation, I mean, let's just be honest. <coughs> Facebook was formed as, as a hot or not. Um, platform in the first place. And if you look at every checkbox that Facebook has, they have every checkbox you can be, except you can't check your ethnicity. That's a flaw in the product itself. So that means there's a flaw in the design and it's a flaw in the system of the organization that Facebook happened to be built on the basis of. So if, if you can't check the box for ethnicity, that means you're not looking at anything on your platform around ethnicity at all. That's a flaw in your product. And that can be fixed, but that's where the choice is about what, what do you dis, what, what do you decide to fix at that at the particular moment? Do you take issue with Twitter's decision to uncheck uh, Louis Farrakhan uh, and keep Donald Trump's check? Uh, and, and I'm sitting back and thinking about it is that some of our some of the people in our community they may say things right. Some things are are very offensive. Uh, uh, to, to, to communities, but we don't have any real power, right? And so words are inferior to policy decisions and power influence. Uh, and so what Donald Trump does in terms of building the wall, stopping folks from Africa coming over here, targeting uh, people of certain race, that the white supremacy of Donald Trump and the racism of Donald Trump, because he's powerful, he gets to keep the check mark because of what could happen. So these type of policies will benefit the people who are doing bad things with power, and they may hurt communities that don't have a lot of power that are, that are speaking up in you know, I think that it highlights the, the, the problem. Why would, if you're really going to be consistent on your policy, why does Donald Trump get to keep his check mark? So I have a different argument about this. And, and, I, and the reason why I have an argument about this is that it, this goes back to the same argument about the power dynamics. Why are people upset about Farrakhan? And why are people upset about Donald Trump? And the, and, and the distance between those two things are the things that we're not talking about. And here's, here's, the, here's the basis of, of what I classify as the white nationalism or the separatism, because Facebook has made announcements about why they want to look at this global perspective, looking at the Zionists, looking at the black separatists, and looking at um, the white nationalists as if they're equal. None of that is equal. Um, and the reason that we're not having the conversations necessary is, again, about the people who have created these platforms. The difference between the white nationalists is that they hate anyone who isn't a white nationalist or isn't purely white, and they don't want their uh, culture to be, um, to be infiltrated in any way. That turns into harmful actions. Black separatists are literally protecting themselves from the white nationalists. That is not equal. And so, so even to bring up the conversation as if these things are equal, they're, they're not. not equal. But, but I want to just highlight the power discrepancy. Because there's yeah. a power discrepancy yeah. against that. They are protecting themselves. And if you have a community that's trying to protect themselves from harm, that's the community you should be paying more attention to, not the ones who not only say the most horrific things, but can actually do the harm. And that's where, you know... I don't even name him, but I call him Agent Orange 45. He can institute the harms against brown and black people in a way that we cannot. Even in retaliation, we cannot. I want to hop back to talk about public policy and, and lobbying. Um, so, as you know, Google 
and Facebook, part of their success uh, has a lot to do with cultivating politicians. Yes. Uh, particularly Barack Obama, Cory Booker. They've been kind of sticking their claws uh, into a lot of politicians, and they groom them early. They're long-term players, uh, and they want something back. And so we haven't really seen uh, any type of regulatory review. Uh, you know, Google, Facebook, they've been allowed to run wild on privacy, kind of wild, wild west, do whatever you want. They are in deep what I would say with Democrats mostly, that they've been cultivating more so Democrat politicians for over a long time, particularly uh, one, I believe, uh, an executive that doesn't get a lot of uh, credit, Eric Schmidt, the former CEO and chairman of Google. They brought him in early on, but he played the lobbying game really, really well, and it, it shows in their results. How do you feel about, I know of, uh, more than a few executives at Google, at Facebook, where they are hiring the children of Congress folks and some black folks that I'm not going to pop out their name. But in China, the U.S. government cracked down on J.P. Morgan trying to hire the children of Chinese communist officials as part of their hiring practices and to curry favor with the Chinese government. Uh, but I, I'm starting to see what looks like some of that stuff here, where Google and Facebook and some of the, the elites in Silicon Valley, they will target and recruit the children of Congress folks. What are your thoughts on that? They're big companies, you know, it, to be fair, like, hey, you know, a lot of people want to work there. Of course we want to work there. Yeah. And of course people want to have some level of influence if they can across the board. I would say um, I would not be surprised by any of this um, because, um, you know, I, I was around and doing campaign work around 2008 when all of this started to change the way in which social media in, 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 the, in the political you know, process started to change a little bit too. Um, I would say that that changed the way we look at politics. And I also think it gave us the open door to where we are now. Right. Because because of that cultivation that you're talking about. Um, I also will say that I think Barack Obama tried his best in some ways to cultivate to be a more tech savvy government, which which is really complicated. But also it was a very important shift in the government too. like it. There was there was a real view on how we could look at the world from different perspectives and, they, and he had so many different agencies that were focused. Some of them are shut down now because of the new administration. But there was a, a, a real push to look at the emerging between tech and government. So I'm going to... And how to use technology to, to kind of step up our game. Step up our game. Yeah. Across the board. Not, yeah. just, not just, you know, in the U.S. Like, just across the board. So I want to mark that because I think that's still very important. And I still think it was a very part, important part of our history. What I will say as a result of that is what you're saying you're saying there's still this cultivation happening and lack of criticism about the bad things that have gone down, right? Because when Zuckerberg came to testify, he never, he never, like his testimony is not sworn in testimony. He never swore in. Everybody else is sworn in. So that says that there's a little bit of leeway that he's been given. Yeah. You know, yeah. by everybody. No, yeah. the Dems, the Dems didn't say you, you didn't swear in, right? Yeah. yeah. So, 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 yes. In my opinion, um, some of these uh, hill visits by these techos uh, have some bias in them. I think that them coming up now to come have a conversation with now who's in power, conservatism, um, that's gonna have a bias in it. What I, what I want to get at is. Even though I think that people think that the tech companies lean more left, I would say that may be true to some extent, but that does not mean that they lean more progressive or lean more pro-diversity. True. Right? What, what does happen is in your conversation is that we still lean more elite. So we're talking more of a class yeah. conversation. Um, and that's where I think our, our, our failure is in having this conversation, because in this instance, that balance is more about class than it is about um, diversity or or political affiliation. You've done over a, a decade of working 
uh, to get more African-Americans, more women in technology. Uh, you've been at this a, a long time. You know, based on your experience, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of folks and they're like, you know, Google's not doing this. Facebook's not doing this. Amazon's not doing this. They're not, you know, helping the community. They're not hiring us, right? So we've heard that for uh, a while now. It's getting fatigued. A couple of, dec a couple uh, of yeah. decades. And so what do you say to this point of view is that Google, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, let's call it big tech in general. If the problem is represented as 100%, let's say, hey, all the people are like, hey, Google, Facebook, you guys need to do this. Let's say it's 70% their fault. Uh, and let's say it's 30% on the community. What, if you look at that pie, how much of it is on us where the work that you're doing, the work others are doing that we have to step up the game even further in our community to move the needle on the things that, that we really care about? Or do you take the position like, hey, you know, it's really on big tech? No, I don't, I don't take it. I never take a position on um, either or, which is it's got to be this way or that way. I'm more of the person who says we have to do and both and more. And so even if it is 70 percent of the tech companies. What percentage would you say that, hey, this is just us organizing, unifying, pulling our resources, that there's stuff that we need to do. Uh, and it's going to take time. It's not all on them. What percentage would you say? Hey, this is on us. I would, I would, I would keep your number. I would say on us, it would be still thirty around thirty percent. Within that thirty percent, let's say, hey, I'm Google, and like, hey, I want to hire the best, and that's inequities in society. That's not my, that's not my problem. I'm just going to hire the best, and I'm agnostic on race, and say, hey, you guys, we need to see more top quality black engineers and in the culture, let's say in the culture uh, that, hey, there's, uh, you guys are uh, overweight, um, entertainment, uh, athletics. A lot of folks, you know, want to play football, want to play basketball, want to rap. Uh, and so a lot of this in terms of to really move the needle, whether it's with them or outside of them, either way, uh, to really move the needle here, uh, we're going to have to remix our culture internally where there's a premium on technology, engineering, uh, starting uh, businesses, uh, meaningful businesses. And, hey, a lot of this is on us. And whether you go through their pipeline or you create your own pipeline, uh, but a lot of it is remixing our culture and resetting our priorities. So I would say two things because I've dealt, like I said, I've dealt, dealt with this a long time. And one of them is um, I actually went after, what's his name? Chameleonaire, uh, who came, rapper, uh, yeah. the rapper who came. And now investor. I don't want to, yeah, he's an he's, investor But now. he's also yeah. an investor, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so just yeah. so we're clear. So I want to make sure that we understand this. So MC Hammer, rapper, also investor, right? Yeah. But they're investing in the tech companies, but they're not investing in black kids. And that's where some of the problem is. And, and so that's you're, so, so you're so, saying like you're saying like, hey, even the black investors who are getting into the game, those they, dollars aren't getting the black. <laughs> <laughs> they still give the money to the white boys. So, it's so, still us. So this goes, but here's, but here's yeah, my go, spectrum go, go, go. of that. Right. Yeah. Because because the truth is the white boys will invite them there for the sake of the fact that they want to get the numbers of the black community present, but they don't want them as as they want them as 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 uh, consumers, not as creators. And they don't take the stage. And when I because I approached him when he took the stage some years ago, I think it was like 2010. And I was supposed to be on the stage and I was taken off the stage, by the way, it was like this whole women panel. And I was like going to be the only black woman. And they still took me off the stage, by the way. Um, uh, um, Erica Alexander was there that that year, too. And she had a project that she was working on. And you just get the whole sense of like, it's not just us not trying. It's the fact that once the ones who get up on the stage, they're not pulling us up on the stage with them. They still yelling out to the stage to all the white guys in the room. You're the best. You're the greatest. You're the geekdoms. I come here being dumb and get smart by you. And they should be saying, they should yeah. be saying, I came here 
you white boys need to come get my my kids who who hang out with me, who do the work that I do, and have them come into the same room with you if you want me to come here again. It sounds like, tell me um, if I'm crystallizing this correctly, that just as Clarence Thomas is not going to get us any more justice, he's actually going to push us the wrong way. When you get these diversity faces or even black investors, oh, we need black investors all because the investor is black, that doesn't mean they care deeply about tackling this problem in terms of they're sincere in wanting to address this and move their people forward. Hey, my focus is just on a good return and I can lower my risk if I go along with these other white investors exactly. and who tend to exclude my community. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're paying to have your community excluded. That makes no yeah. sense. You know, you want to make some more money, that's fine. But you're also you're also participating in the system of which um, excludes the people who look like you and who where you came from. And so so even though I would say even on us in the sense of like trying to sort of shift the narrative about being an entertainer, being a rapper or being a basketball player, I would say every one of them has a responsibility to, to go back and say, hey, let's let's make sure that we're investing in, in these kids who are actually trying to do something. So you're not really getting excited about let's say Kobe Bryant, uh, Nas, Jay-Z, they have all launched venture capital firms uh, because the way you read it in terms of you're well-seasoned and you have a lot of experience is like that headline, it sounds good, but maybe when we start to open up the books, I may see 5% of the money going to people who look like me and, hey, that's not really going to help us move the needle. No, it's not. And go ahead. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not. I mean, I, and it's and it's the same problem. Like, I let me don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I you know I think people have to make their choices about where they want to spend their dollars, no matter what happens. But if you are talking about cultivating um, an environment which you know you had a difficulty getting through yourself, or you think that there's an opportunity for some technology to exist that no one else has done before, you can't keep going to the same people who you know have been doing it over and over again, messing it up, uh, constantly repeating the same problems over and over again versus giving it to people who can maybe change with, with, with just even small amounts of money that could probably change the tune of the tech industry in a heartbeat. Okay, and what if what would you say if Nas, uh, Kobe, and Jay-Z, they came back and said, look, I'm new to this investment game, uh, and I'm uh, smartly going in with seasoned partners. They may These partners have been in this game for 20 years. These investors, they, they know how to do due diligence. They know how to look at deals. And so because I'm new, to angel investing or venture capital investing, it's smart for me to partner with more experienced investors who happen to be white and I can reduce my risk by piggybacking off of their deals. And so, uh, hey, I get that I need to be, you know, investing more in my community, uh, but because I'm new, I'm going to start this off by piggybacking on a kind of more experienced investors. So I have an easy answer to that, which which you already probably know the answer to, which is if if that's how you feel about it, then put your money in backstage capital and call it a day. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's yeah. where it's going to happen, and yeah. that's where you're going to get your return, and, and that work is going to happen and still be able to, to, to give back to the communities of color. So if you feel that way, that's where you put your money. Okay, uh, for the Go audience, where can they uh, check you out on Twitter and online? I am the original digital sister. So everything online is digital sister, D-I-G-I-T-A-L-S-I-S-T-A on Twitter, Facebook, and across the whole spectrum. Okay, uh, make sure you check out Shireen Mitchell. Thanks for coming on the show. She's an OG who's been in these tech streets for a long time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's go. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.